all of us, every single person in this room, we all want to be happy. Something that's true about every single one of us, and as a result of that, we're all on a quest. Um, every single risk that we take, uh, every sacrifice that we make, uh, every decision um, that you and I make, it is with the idea, it's with the hope of being motivated by a, a desire to be happy, whether it's in this life or the one to come. And so we are all on a quest, a quest to find this good life. And it's interesting what we sort of think about, uh, when, what we dream about, what we sing about, what we really aspire to. It's this, it's, we all imagine this place of, of peace and of freedom and prosperity, of adventure and self-development and, and plenty. And then every single one of us run after what we find in our own mind, in our own imagination. And so we're all running, every single one of us, to find this good life. It's why we work a job. It's why we buy things that we buy. It's why we save the money that we save. It's why we give the money away that we give away. It's driven by happiness. It's why we build things. It's why we create things. It's why we paint things and read things and write things and travel to places and get married and have children and build friendships. It's why some people, on the basis of this sign, move to the Midwest because that's where the good life is found, right? It's why some people choose to overeat. It's why some people choose to overdrink. It's why some people choose to overdose. It's why some people are driven to want to live longer and other people want to live no longer. It's driven by happiness. What is going to make me happy? And what's so sad about each one of us that our own story bears witness to, and the Bible does as well, is that the compass that is within our heart is broken. And as a result of that, we set out on this quest, and every single one of us tend to get lost. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says it this way. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. What do He's saying, what is he saying is this, is, is that every single one of us, we say from time to time, I thought it would end better than this. I, I thought that this, this decision or this vacation destination or this person or this friendship or this marriage or this child would bring about a different end in my life. I didn't think it would end this way. And what I want you to know, Providence family, to all of our guests and to all of our Providence family that are at the beach having a good life, uh, we're so grateful for you as well, is that God in his mercy and in his grace has given us a guide, a compass, a compass that literally leads us to a life that is truly good. You see, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 says, happy or blessed is the man who finds wisdom. And wisdom is this friend. Wisdom is this guy that God has given in to us. And the book of Proverbs was written by a really wise man named Solomon. And his intent in writing it was to introduce you and me to wisdom, that we could become wise individuals in the way that we live our life. And so if you brought a Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. If you didn't, there's lots of Bibles in the chairs near you. And if you don't have one at home, please take that home as a gift. But what we want to do is to start a series um, on the good life really from the book of Proverbs. What does God tell us where wisdom is going to lead us? And so let me just sort of offer you an eight-week uh, snapshot of sort of where we're going. Okay? What we find here in chapter 1 is that wisdom is running to us. The second and third sermon 
from Proverbs will be how we're supposed to run after wisdom. And then we're going to take five weeks and we're going to look at five different very practical areas of life to where wisdom speaks into our life in order to give us uh, a life that really does end uh, well. And so what I want to do first, though, is to pray for us. So if you would, would you bow with me? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your grace in our life. And as we open up your word now, I pray that you would speak through weakness and to weakness and that you would help us, Lord, to believe your word is the true compass of life. I pray, Father, for those in the room who are at a place in their life journey where literally they do not know where to turn, whether it's right or left or go forward or turn around and go backwards, whether to hit the accelerator or the brake. And I pray, God, that you would still their heart and I pray that you would give them wisdom and navigate their journey. I pray for those in the room who, as a result of rejecting wisdom and walking away from you or feel regret and guilt. And I pray today, even as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, God, that you would show that there is hope in Jesus Christ and in the wisdom that's provided in Jesus. And so would you use your wisdom to be our guide? Would you speak through weakness? Would you bring glory to Jesus Christ and good to your people here at Providence? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So starting in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, it says this. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice, and at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? And how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, and behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called and you refuse to listen have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. And because you have ignored all of my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes like a storm and your own calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge. And did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel. And despised all my reproof. Therefore. They shall eat the fruit of their way. And have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me. Will dwell secure. And will be at ease. Without dread of disaster. So what I want to show you here is how wisdom comes to us. I want to show you four truths about wisdom that, that, are, that, that will guide us, really, over the next uh, eight weeks. And the first is this, is that wisdom is available. You and I need to know what a gift it is. It is absolutely available to you and me. In verse 20, it says, wisdom cries aloud in the streets. You see, one day, God came to a man named Solomon. Solomon had just become king over Israel. And God came to him, and he asked him a question. And it was just a fascinating question, and it was this. What do you want me to give you? If you could have one thing, what would you want? And Solomon began thinking about what he wanted, and this was his answer. First Kings chapter 3, verse 9. He prays to God, and he says, God, would you give your servant an understanding mind that I might discern good and evil? Now, this is really fascinating if you think about it. In fact, God was so 
fascinated by his answer, so pleased with his answer that he asked for wisdom and not other things that he says, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you a lot of other things that you didn't ask for as well. I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to give you peace and tremendous prosperity. But you have to ask the question, and it's this, why did he need discernment between right and wrong if he had the word of God? You see, at this point in time, not everyone had a copy of the Bible. Not everyone had even the New Testament. Of course, this is just the Old Testament. This is the law of God. And so you and I, right, if you came and you didn't even have one, I just said, hey, there's, we, we have so many copies. They're just, they're just, we just stick them under chairs, and they just wait there all week for you. And, and like we just have so many Bibles. But at this point in time, not everyone had their own copy, but the king did. The king was actually instructed that he was supposed to take the law of God and literally write it out himself in his own handwriting so that when he gave it back, he had his own copy of the law of God, what was right and what was wrong. And so here's Solomon, and he has access to the word of God. And yet he's asking God, this is what I need more than anything else, is the ability to discern between what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. Now, why would he pray that? And this is why. Because wisdom is the ability to know and do the right thing, even when the Bible doesn't specifically address our situation. Now, I know that's a long sentence, and so let me unpack it. Each one of us, we open up the Bible, and in every situation where the Bible says this is righteousness and this is sin, you don't need any discernment. You need the ability to read and obey. But isn't it true that the vast number of life situations that we encounter, there's not a direct verse that's written specifically to address that, and that's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom comes in and he says, this is what you need to do, And this is how to do it. And wisdom says, I can pull it off. It's to know the right thing and to be able to do the right thing, even when the Bible doesn't specify precisely exactly what we're supposed to do. And this ability to discern between good and and all that is evil. What does he say? He's saying it's available to you and to me. And it leads us to a life that's truly good. And what you find within the scriptures, it's fascinating, is that, is that wisdom always runs with two buddies, okay? Now, sometimes these buddies run without wisdom, but anytime you see wisdom, he has two friends running next to him. Their knowledge and understanding. You see it in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. He says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, why did he write this? To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. You also find all three of these buddies in Proverbs chapter 24. This is what he says there. He says, by wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And so sometimes you'll see knowledge running by themselves. Sometimes you'll see understanding. Whenever you see understanding, he's always running with knowledge. But anytime you see wisdom, there's two people running with him. It's knowledge and understanding. So let's identify exactly what each of these are, okay? Knowledge is knowing. It's saying that's a chair. That's not a car, that's a chair. It's the ability to know what is presently there and what's not there. Understanding goes a little bit deeper, though. It's comprehending. It's understanding the steel and the grade of the steel. It's quality to know how much weight can actually be placed down upon that chair before it breaks, And then there's wisdom. And wisdom is applying. 
Wisdom knows how to sit down. It knows you can sit down, and then it actually knows how to sit down. It does sit down. And so these three, they're all working together whenever you find wisdom. Now, let me sort of illustrate this with a real-life situation this week, okay? Earlier this week, I was in a golf cart with one of our pastors at Providence, okay? A dear friend. He still is, by the way, okay? And uh, we're on the 10th hole. We both hit our drive, and we're driving out, and he hits a lot farther than I do. Well, there's two paths that we could take. One was a low path. One was a high path, and so he takes the high path. And while he's literally, this this is no joke, at the very moment we're on this path, he says, hey, where are you going with the whole wisdom Proverbs series? What's your big ideas? What's your theme about wisdom? So he's asking me about wisdom, okay? And suddenly he, 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 he sees my ball and he sees his ball. And, he, and in his mind he thinks, you know what? We really should be on that other path. And the paths were, were not next to each other like this. They were next to each other like this, okay? And so he just veers to the left. And as he veers to the left, it had rained. And so, and it's a really steep, really long path. And so we go over, and I, and I say, he, he actually remembers me saying, well, this is exciting. And, and, and suddenly, <laughs> suddenly he hits the brake, and when he hits the brake, the back slides around, right? And so now we're sliding down. I'm on the low side. He's on the high side, and we're sliding down, and I'm keenly aware that the sidewalk is coming. And we hit that sidewalk, and after he's asked me about wisdom, okay, we tumble over and we turn the cart over i'm on the ground right because i'm on the low side and so I'm, I'm saying hello to the path uh really close and my friend um who still works at providence um <laughs> but has been sent to london is 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 now laying on top of me and he's like i am so sorry i'm so sorry and I said, let's talk about wisdom for a second right <laughs> and so and so Now, nowhere within the scriptures is there a direct command to say, this is what to do in this situation. Knowledge knows, however, we're in a golf cart, okay? Understanding knows and comprehends, you know, it's wet. There's a weight, there's speed, there's direction, there's slant, and wisdom, and gravity, and wisdom says, I think I'm going to keep the cart on the path, Right? Now, that's a funny story, but this is true, and it applies to every area of life. And when it does, just imagine the generosity of God just for a moment. If you think about that God has given us this ability, he's given us this friend, he's given us these three buddies for areas that are much more important than a golf cart, things like marriage and friendship and finance and work and life and death and making decisions and knowing God's will. That he's given us the ability to not only know what's happening. So in the context of a marriage, to know this is my spouse. These are words that I'm saying. Understanding, to be able to comprehend the impact of what I'm saying and how this person is going to, 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 to actually receive those words. And then wisdom, wisdom to know what to do and what to say at the right time in order to build up instead of to tear down. And this is what is available to you and to me, wisdom. You don't have to run without wisdom. Isn't that a gift? Isn't that incredible? It's available to us. The second thing we see here about wisdom is that wisdom is calling. It's calling. Wisdom is not playing hide and seek. Wisdom isn't some possession in the lap of some old man sitting cross-legged up on a mountain peak waiting for someone to come up and ask him about the mysteries of life. 
No, verse 20 says that wisdom has been sent by God to cry aloud in the streets, in the marketplace, and in the city gates, the places where people live, where they shop. City gates was the place of government. It's where decisions are being made. And wisdom is right there in the midst of everything. And he's not whispering. Wisdom is shouting, crying out, I'm here, I'm available for all of you. And who is wisdom addressing? We find in verse 22, three kinds of people. The first kind of people he addresses is the simpleton. He says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Simpletons don't lack intelligence. They're just a little naive. They're gullible. What you find with a simpleton is that any idea is given free access into their own heart, into their own mind. They're hospitable to any truth, any theology, any idea whatsoever. This is where the idea, every path leads to heaven. Doesn't matter what you do. They all, it's all lots of different roads. They all lead to the same place. You see, Proverbs 22, verse 3 says that a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple Keep going and suffer for it. And so he speaks to the simpleton, to the naive, to the person that just allows anything into their life without thinking and understanding what exactly am I letting in and what impact will it have for literally generations to come. The second person, kind of person that he speaks to is the scoffer. The scoffer is really marked simply by arrogance. Scoffers are arrogant. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24, he says this of scoffers. He says, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. This is the man that says, I don't care what you say. I'm the king of my life. And I don't care what I burn down. I'm going to be in charge of my life. I once heard that very sentence from somebody that I really care about. And at the time, praise God, there's been a remarkable change in this individual's life. But there was a time when this individual's life was literally on fire. And so I sat down with him one time and I said, help me just understand. Help me understand. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. Can you just tell me what you believe? What is it that you believe is most important about yourself, about life, about God? Is there a God? Do you believe? What do you believe? And this individual literally began from Genesis, went to Revelation, took almost an hour telling me doctrines of the faith of Christianity that if you're here, if you believe the Bible is true, you would say, I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I said, so I don't get it then. If you believe all of that, then what are you doing with your life? And this individual looks right at me and he says, well, do you remember in the Bible where it says that before you build a tower, that you need to count the cost to see if you have enough to finish it? I said, yeah. He goes, well, I believe these things, but here's the fact. I don't care what burns down right now. I want to be in control of my life. Now, this is a scoffer. This is someone that says, I see flames all in my wake Everything that I touch is on fire, and yet I am in charge. That's a scoffer. And the third person wisdom speaks to is the fool. The fool. What is a fool? Well, a fool is someone who lives for the sensation of freedom that is void of truth. Lives for the sensation of freedom that is void of truth. All right, help me understand that, okay? Imagine jumping out of an airplane without a parachute, okay? Somebody might say, you know what? 
if I have a parachute, I'm going to be encumbered. It's going to feel tight. If it's, if it's not there, I can just fly and do all kinds of acrobatic moves. And I don't have to feel like there's something holding me back. This is the sensation of freedom that is void of truth. It's void of the truth of gravity and the hardness of the earth and everything else. And people live this way. This is where you get the idea when someone says, you know, sex is nothing more than a bodily function, just like eating food. So just let yourself go. Enjoy yourself. Do what you want. There's absolutely nothing about it. There's, there's nothing to hold you back. Take the parachute off and just live how you want to live. And the Bible says this is a fool. Now, here's the deal. When our quest for happiness is marked by one of these three, either in the sense that we are so, in, so ingrained in this pattern of life that it's our character that someone looks at and says, that's just a fool there. That's a scoffer there. That's a simpleton there. Or maybe it's just an afternoon where we're just behaving as such. Is that whenever our life is marked by one of these three areas, we get lost. And if you think about your greatest regrets in life, nearly in every single one of our situations, what we cannot give as the excuse was ignorance. When you really look at your greatest regrets, it's when you were being too simple and too naive, when you were being arrogant, saying, I'm going to do it whether you like it or not, or whether we were simply being a fool and saying, you know, I don't care what the consequences are for right now. I simply want the freedom to do what I want to do. And so God, in his mercy, he responds to us in two different ways. It's remarkable. You find this in verse 22 and 23. The first thing he asks is a question. And the question that he asks us is, how long? You see it in verse 22. How long, those simple ones? How long, scoffer? How long, fool? How long are you going to do this? How long are you going to walk down this path and continue to destroy your life and everyone around you? How long? Must you continue to do this? We, we find the same plea from God's heart in Isaiah 65 when he says, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people, a people who were continually provoked me to my face. So he comes in, he says, how long? You don't have to run this way anymore. And the second thing he does is he gives us an invitation. It's remarkable. Verse 23, if you turn to my reproof, I'll pour out my spirit to you and I'll make my words known to you. I'll give you direction. I'll give you knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. I'll give you courage by my spirit within you so that you can take healthy steps in healthy ways that leads to a life that is truly good. This is what's available, his invitation to us. And so this idea of if you turn at my reproof, that's a warning. It's, it's, it's like God looks into a cave and he sees in the cave and he goes, wow, look, there's a, there's a bear. It's a, it's a mama bear and three cubs. And then all of a sudden he sees three boys that are out just having a good time. And they're like, hey, let's go caving. And so they're coming to the cave and God stands and he goes, you don't want to go in there. I've seen what's in there. There's danger what's in there. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. This is his warning or his reproof. He says, you've got to just turn. I promise you, you just have to turn. You see, God... In his grace, he comes and he says, you don't have to go in there. I, would you turn? He says, if you'll turn, I'll give you my spirit. I'll, I'll make my words known to you. And so wisdom is available. Wisdom is calling. The third thing, which is the harshest, is wisdom is a witness. Wisdom is a witness. 
This is an interesting idea if you think about it. You see, in spite of God's patience and his overwhelming promises, we still find reason within our heart to reject him. And in verse 24 and 25, he tells us the four ways that we reject him, that we rebel against him. So let's look at each one of these. The first is this, is that in our rebellion, we're resistant to his will. We are resistant. He says in verse 24, because you refused to listen. Refuse to listen. This is the idea of giving a stiff arm. Okay, so let's take all of this and let's put it on a football field. There's a kickoff. You grab the ball. You're running to the end zone. And yet God recognizes suddenly this is actually not a football field anymore. The end zone is actually a cliff. And so he, in his grace and his kindness, he wants to come and speak to you in order to use those words to arrest you or to tackle you to the ground in order to save your life from running to what you think is going to be a touchdown that you think is going to be euphoric, but actually it's the place of death. And so he tries to stop. And so just like this picture, what do we do? We take God, we take his words, and we stiff arm God. We say, no, I don't want any of you. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want your word. Because this is one of the ways that we rebel against God as we are resistant to his will. The second thing in verse 24, it says, is that we're insensitive to his touch. He says, I stretched out my hand and no one heeded. Have you ever put your hand on somebody and they don't know that your hand is on them? This is what he's saying. He says, God comes to us and he goes, hold on, hold on. He puts his hands on our shoulders and we don't even recognize that he's there. We have no ability. We're so insensitive to his touch, to his words. So God speaks to us and we don't even recognize that he's speaking to us. And the third way he says that we rebel against him is we're indifferent to his counsel. Indifferent is, being, is very different from being insensitive. Insensitive says, I can't even recognize it. I can't even touch it. I can't feel it, I should say. I can't feel your touch. Being indifferent says, oh, I heard you and I feel you, but I don't care. I just don't care what you say. I don't care what your words say. I don't care what the Bible says. And he says this is one way is being indifferent. And the last is being defiant, being defiant to his warnings. You see this in verse 25 also. He says, and you would have none of my reproof. You would have none of my reproof. You see, what God is doing here is this, is, is God is standing in between us and he's standing between us and that bear. And he's looking at people and how they respond to this. And he's saying, you, you've got to listen to me. See, the simpleton, there's just simply too, too naive to say, well, I, I think I can get in there and get out with any problem whatsoever. The scoffer says, get out of my way. The fool says, let's grab a cub, see what happens, Right? And God stands in the way and he goes, don't do this. Don't do this. And so now what follows is sobering is that when we are resistant to him, insensitive, indifferent, defiant to him, when we sin against God, God's wisdom suddenly that once was crying out to us is now witnessing against us. And so he says something that's really stunning. It's, it's something that we don't expect to see within the Bible. He says, I will laugh at your calamity and mock when terror strikes you. Now, what, what's he saying here? You see, wisdom is laughing at, is simply a description of what we feel like when we do something foolish. And every single one of us have. 
Several years ago, I was at a retreat with a bunch of our single adults, and someone brought a water balloon launcher. We filled up some water balloons. We went out to the, to the, to, to the, uh, to the deck or the pier, and we started launching water balloons, and suddenly, one of the guys was up on a balcony up in the house, and so we turned the water balloon launcher, and we launched it, and it didn't hit him. No, what did it do? It, go, it went through a double-pane window, right? And my wife, Tabitha, was doing her hair on the other side, and little glass shards, right, spray all over her hair. She was a little uptight, and, 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 and so, but even without her words, I felt like wisdom was laughing at me. I was supposed to be the leader of the group. I was the pastor. It was like wisdom was sitting over the side going, oh, no, you didn't. You did. Yo, you did it. You did it. You go over there and deal with it. I'm just going to sit here and laugh at you while you go fix that thing right there. That's what it felt like. Now, you know what it feels like when wisdom laughs at you? We all know, all right? Well, it goes further, and he says, and then they will call upon me, and I will not answer, and they will seek me, but will not find me. Here, he's not talking about that we're praying to God. This is a picture of a fool trying to get out of trouble on its own. And what wisdom is saying is that the Bible doesn't specify how to get out of a ditch that God never told us to get into. There's no specific scriptures that legislate our sin. Oh, if you're going to sin, then do it this way. No, it's not there. So when we get into the ditch, sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, how do we get out of this ditch? And so we look at wisdom and it says, tell me what to do. And you're like, well... He didn't tell us how to get out of that ditch. He just told you, to don't get in it. And so what does this mean? What it means is this, is that wisdom then calls to us, and he says, you, you, you have to stop trying to solve your problems yourself, and you have to turn your face to God in repentance and trust. And that gets to the fourth, and that's this, is that wisdom offers hope. Wisdom offers hope. Verse 33 says, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now listen, friends, this is not a promise that you're going to be rich or pain-free. It's a promise that you're going to have a life that's good. Now what does that mean? It means that when we listen to God, he promises a life without dread, a life where you don't have to remember your alibi because you tell the truth. A life that, that, that is good to where your conscience is clean, a life where you can look in the mirror or where you can look at your family, look at you, and not feel shame. You see, God wants you to live with a clear conscience. And when we follow the way of wisdom, what he's saying is this, is that more times than not, we don't have to fear disaster. But the hope that we have is, as sinners, the fact that every single one of us have done these things is represented in the Lord's Supper. That there is a friend of sinners who restores and brings us back that even though wisdom at the very moment may struggle to communicate with us, there is a Savior. There is a Savior that says that if you repent and turn and look to me, I'll save you. And then I'll bring wisdom back to your life to help you navigate your next steps. And so two applications. First is this, is let's tune our hearts to hear God's wisdom. Wisdom's appeal only matters if we listen. You see, our hope is, is not to live our life and not be on a quest to find happiness. It's that we simply seek it from a different source. So many of us, we just struggle to listen so much. We're like the people on an airplane. Like I was on a few, a few weeks ago, was heading back from Dallas, and I look around, and here's this lady, poor lady. She's trying to help all of us understand how to save our life if this plane goes down, and nobody's listening. Everyone's just, oh, whatever, yeah. 
Why? Well, it's because if we actually thought in 32 minutes from now the plane's going to go down, we'd get off the plane while it's still on the ground. And so we look, and oh, the little safety speech, they do this all the time. This must be what wisdom feels like all the time. Oh, your little safety speech, thanks so much for that, I got this. And so God has created the world and all of its laws so that the more we choose him, the happier we will be. This is the master key of the whole book, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To admire the Lord, to revere the Lord, to set our eyes on him, to esteem him higher than ourselves. This is the way of life. And so let's tune our hearts, in particular over the next eight weeks. Would you tune your heart to lean in, to hear what he has to say about wisdom? And then second is let's set our eyes on Jesus. You see, Solomon wrote about wisdom in Proverbs, but Jesus is that wisdom. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 actually says, In Jesus are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the faithful guide, and he is our faithful friend, and he is the faithful counselor and the one who can pull us out of the ditch. Solomon spoke of truth and pointed the way to life, but Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And whenever your life is on fire, and however your life may be on fire today, I want you to know Jesus is the one who can rescue you. If your life is all tore up because of sin, he can forgive you. If your life is literally just riddled with guilt, he can give you a clear conscience. And if your path is simply too confusing to navigate, he can give you the steps. He can navigate your life. And do you know why Jesus is the one that we can look to and why we can look to him? It's because he first looked at us. He looked down upon us after giving us all wisdom and all knowledge and all understanding. And he says, now here's the deal. You all rebelled against me. We all scorned him. And yet he came to this earth. He lived without sin. Then he went to a cross in order to pay for our sin. All our rebellion, all our indifference, all our, all our defiance, he paid for all of it. He was buried and he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead after saying he would. And he says, if you'll trust me, I'll take away all your sin. I'll forgive you. I'll take away your guilt. I'll give you my righteousness so that you can have a clear, a, a clear conscience. I'll give you my spirit to direct your path. And he has given us the Lord's Supper time and time again to remember not only who he is, but what he's done. So for those that will be serving us, if you want to head to the back and if you want to get ready uh, for us, Jesus told his followers to take the bread and the cup, both symbols of his body and his blood. We're supposed to do it to remember what he's done, but also to confess publicly that we believe what he has done. It's a gift that he's given to us that when we hold these things, we say, I am a recipient of this gift. And so if you've never trusted Christ, we humbly ask you to do just what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells you to do, and that's to let them pass, to not take them. But if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are welcome to this table, and I invite you as these elements are being passed to pray to God, thank him for wisdom, Confess your sin to him and receive a clear conscience. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness to us. It leads us to repentance. We thank you for wisdom that's available, that it's calling, even when it witnesses against us, to us, and also how it gives hope. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful how Jesus, even when we reject wisdom, helps us to identify the path back to wisdom. And so I pray that you would give us understanding you would give us gratitude. And as we take the Lord's Supper, God, would you purify our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.